This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Jesus said, But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give light, and the stars will be falling from the heavens, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learned its lesson, as soon as its branches become tender and puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gate. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things will take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The Gospel of our Lord. So good to be here with you and to get to celebrate uh, the season together, to mark time together. Um, time. Like always, running through our fingers. And I um, feel like, for whatever reason, that's especially true this time of year. It's one of the things that I've always appreciated about Advent, and I didn't grow up in a tradition where we um, celebrated it in the same way. So coming to it later, uh, the call to mark time in a different way than we're sort of keeping it culturally, which is a sort of frenzied, full, you know, there's lots to do. Uh, we're preparing for Christmas, but in a very different way, you know? And the church with a kind of like prophetic voice is just out all over that chaos, just going to be like, why don't you stop for a minute? Stop the hurrying and the buying and the doing and just be. Mark time. Keep step with God not rushing out in front of him, not lagging behind him, but learn to keep step. And so that's what we're doing. We're like practicing keeping time together. Um, so part of it, the liturgy is like, you know, we learn to pay attention to each other, and there's all this kind of like spiritual sort of prophetic call, like to hear, like, this is what it's about. We come in here so we can learn to pay attention differently. We can learn to look for God in each other. We can learn to look for God in things that are just things. Are they just things? You know? What a beautiful invitation. Over the last several weeks, we've been doing a kind of series of sorts here at Christ the King over what it means for us to be a three streams church, uh, by which we mean that as followers of Jesus, we're committed to being shaped into his likeness through our commitment to scripture, the spirit, and the sacraments. 
that these three things represent these historic streams of the church, and rather than like putting them against each other or choosing between them, maybe there's something really powerful that happens when we lean into them and let Scripture shape us, let the Holy Spirit lead us, and let sacraments strengthen us. And so we've spent the last few weeks, okay, well, what do you mean by shaped by the Scripture? What does that actually mean? What do you mean to be led by the Spirit? What does that look like? And then for the next few weeks in Advent, we're going to be thinking together about the sacraments, about what it actually means to be strengthened by them. When we say that, what are we talking about? And I really can't think of a better time to do that than during the Advent season. Um, it sort of thrilled me to realize that it was going to like work out that way. Um, because I think that one of the sort of like uh, scandalous is the word that comes to mind, but maybe challenging is a better word. Um, one of the most challenging parts of Advent and Christmas is the call to the church to reflect on the fact that God became a person, became a thing that we could touch and hold and feel. And that is, it is a scandal of sorts. That God would not just become a person, but an infant. That God would be in utero. And here's the, what I love about the church. It's like, just when you think you've gotten to a place where you're like, yep, yep, makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> the church is going to be like, you sure? Have you really thought about it? What it means for an eternal and infinite God to choose to enter into finitude, time and place and matter, and not just like redeem it with his presence from the outside by virtue of having come close to it, but actually like enter into it, take it on, as if he refuses to let go of it because there's something about created stuff that is inherently good, that God loves and is passionate about. So Advent is about incarnation, a God becoming human. We remember it, we look for it, we ponder it, we reflect on this mystery. And there is a kind of scandal about it. Advent, of course, comes to us from the Latin word Adventus, coming, something about Adventus, you know, it's like it needs to be a movie. There's those Latin words, you know. It's full of like this, has a feeling about it, a mood, as they say coming, not just the coming of Jesus at his birth, and not just the return of Jesus at his second coming, which of course both are going to be held up for us in these next few weeks. One of my favorite things about Advent, if you come into an Anglican church during Advent and you're like really looking forward to like church Christmas fuzzies, you know, and you come in and it's just like baby Jesus time, can't wait, you know, and then we bust out Mark 13 and it's like, and the sun will turn to blood. The sky will be dark. Keep awake. It's like rock and roll apocalyptic Jesus, which doesn't exactly scream Christmas to all of us. But the church is going to say, the first coming doesn't mean anything without the second. And we live in the tension between these two comings. And in both of them, we're reminded today, at his first coming, he came in a body, and at his second coming, for all of its mystery, and there is a lot of mystery, he will be in a body. The message of Advent, Jesus has fingernails.
and eyelashes and hands. And now he lives with those fingernails and those eyelashes and those hands at the right hand of the Father. And it is his body that holds within it this gospel that is good news for all of us. And I love that because it is, by extension, an affirmation of our bodies, which we're always trying to escape or get right or improve or make better or too fat or too slow or too lazy or too sinful or too dumb. I have a tattoo on my foot that says, all of this living. And it's a reminder to me that I would be a really wonderful saint if it weren't for all of this living. And the beauty of Jesus to me, the reason of all the gods that are on offer to us, he is the one that has so captivated my heart. It is because he insists on somehow the goodness and the sacredness of our living as humans, as real people, the struggle to try to take that which is holy and these bodies and this sin and this existence and pull it all together. And in this season, we celebrate the fact that God's movement, his direction towards you is not to take you somehow in your soul out of the meat suit and into a more sacred space. That is not the direction of God. God's aim, his direction is oriented into your life. The concrete details of it, big and small, holy and unholy. That's where he wants to be. And so this season is like an invitation to reflect on what that means. Because between his birth and between his return, he is a God who comes he is coming to us constantly through his spirit in the lives again, not just y'all in a like esoteric, abstract, spiritual kind of way. The only way God has ever come is into the concrete real life stuff that this world is made of. So his spirit comes now into real people's lives, into real details and real things. If our experience of God exists primarily here or even here, Lord, help me. We're missing something. This God comes into the stuff. Whether you're aware of him or not, he's there. So that's the call to like think about sacraments. That's the gift that sacramental thinking has been to me. There is a corner of the church that was decidedly more sacramental than the corner of the church I grew up in. I grew up deeply, decidedly evangelical and Protestant. And if those words don't mean anything to you, that's fine. It's fine. Not, they don't mean a great deal to really any of us anymore. We mean a lot of different things when we say them. But what that means really is I didn't grow up in a Catholic space. I didn't grow up in a space taking communion every Sunday, and I sure didn't grow up in a space in which people bowed at things. That did not happen in my church growing up. Strangely, we did the only processional I ever recall happened at Vacation Bible School. The flag, the Christian one, and the other one, and the Bible. And we felt very fine about that processional. 
but nobody vowed at anything. And I get it. So I grew up in a space where we were suspicious of those things, didn't understand them, didn't want to be distracted by them, and I understand why. But I have come to appreciate and see some of those things differently. The gift of sacramental spaces, sacramental Christians, and sacramental thinkers, for me, has been the affirmation of the goodness of created things, the necessity of them. I have spent so much of my life, the front end of my faith and journey with Jesus, trying to think right and feel right. And that's not bad. I care a great deal. We care a great deal about our thinking and our feeling. Those things matter. But here's the trouble, is that, and I suspect this would be true for a number of us in this room, and if it hasn't yet happened to you, it will. Your thinker and your feeler are connected to a whole body. And if your faith resides primarily there, at some point, and I think by God's grace, they're going to give out on you. Your brain will get tired, and it will realize that it's, it can't do it all can't hold it all, it can't figure it all out. And your feeler will get tired because, you know, we can only always feel so excited about Jesus all the time, so much of the time, you know? Sometimes you're just not there. And sometimes you're just not there for a long time. So what happened to me when I ran into a space like that in my own life with Jesus is because I didn't have anything to hold on to and I didn't have anything to do with my body, I just didn't know what to do. It was like I don't know how to be Christian all of a sudden anymore because I can't think my way there and I can't feel my way there and so I guess I'll just, you know what? Be at home. Opt out. Read more books. Because if I read more books and listen to more podcasts, then my thinker will start working again and then I can be Christian again. My feeler will start working again. And the gift of the sacramental corner of the church has been other Christians saying to me, you know, in the meantime, you could take communion. You could pray with your body since you can't pray with your brain. Why don't you kneel before Jesus and affirm that he's Lord even if you can't say it? You can still kneel. Your knees aren't broken. Come into spaces where you're surrounded by other Christians and let them remind you of what's true. Hear the Bible. Hear them pray. Let me put this in your hand and then you eat it until you can find your way again. And in that way, these things have become a mercy to me, a gift and a grace. Because I have learned to see God in them. And looking for God in things like a candle or a wafer, or colors, and art. I actually think, y'all, it trains us to look for God in each other. To be wakened to the mystery of God at work in the world around us. Because here's the thing about Advent. <laughs> Mary and John who are, they are our preeminent Advent figures. Advent, of course, taking place before Jesus comes. And so when we think about what Advent means, we think of Mary and we think of John. 
Mary, of course, giving us the most sort of like vivid image of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because for Mary, it was literal. The ask of her for Jesus to come and take up room in her life was not like a poem, you know, or a prayer. That was a real, literal, physical for her. And because she said yes, and God literally took up space in Mary's body, we all get to say yes to following Jesus in a different way. Similarly for John, John spent his whole life preparing, waiting for the coming of Jesus. And that meant for him baptizing, preparing for the Lord, he had to go stand at an actual river on the banks of it and baptize actual people. That's how he prepared. It was very literal, and he lived in the woods, and then he came to the river, to the woods, came to the river, until he went to jail. So for them, these Advent seasons, they were concrete. They knew what it meant. Here's the thing, though, that strikes me as interesting about that. Here's Mary, here's John. They're doing Advent. They're preparing for the coming of the Lord. This is the prophet Isaiah. God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He was coming into the world. And here's what I know. I've been a pregnant person. I will just tell you, that is not every moment holy. (laughs) There are parts of that that don't feel holy. I'm going to submit to you there are lots of parts of that that don't feel holy. Some of it is just deeply physical and embodied. You know what I mean? I was pregnant during Advent. And I told somebody earlier, I basically felt like I was Mary. I was like, it's happening. This is it. I'm living into it. And I wanted it to be so sacred and spiritual. Sometimes it was. Most of the time, it was not. It was groaning and trying to fit into clothes and all the things that come with real life. And wondering, you know, what's happening to you? You think it was different for her. Of course, it couldn't have been. So imagine yourself, for example, being with Mary, like, oh, I don't know, in her first trimester, and holding her hair back, you know? And then she's sick everywhere, and she looks up at you, and if you were to say to her, glory to God, Christ is coming into the world, prepare the way of Jesus, holy and sacred time we're having. It's funny, but it was real for her. It didn't feel, I guess what I'm saying to you, like the coming of Jesus at a time like that. It didn't feel sacred and holy. It was just human stuff. Just a pregnant lady being sick and having to trust that somehow God was working in that and through that. Similarly for John, if you had gone to John and found him in his prison cell and sat next to him, and this isn't a hypothetical, we know that John sat in this cell and wondered what on earth was happening, where God was. If you had sat next to John and said, John, you're doing it, it's happening, your whole life, this moment, you were preparing the way of the Lord. From here? I'm sitting here. Just sitting For hours, I sit here, and I'm going to die here. Sitting and dying. Prepare the way of the Lord. 
I love those promises and reminders. And they're connected to sacrament because every Sunday we come forward and a very ordinary looking person takes a really unsavory wafer, dips it into some wine and hands it to you and says the body and blood of Jesus. And I get to remember that that same God who was with Mary in her pregnancy and with John in his prison cell when every moment did not feel holy and did not look holy and I couldn't think my way towards holiness, that that same God is at work in ordinary things and things that don't seem or look or feel particularly sacred all the time. Because here's the thing, though. Between all of that stuff, the times that don't feel sacred, that don't feel holy, that you don't see God, you need to know the call to Advent is to remember to keep awake because he is coming. I am not saying or suggesting for one second that you can just get up, you know, and as long as you take communion every week and pray your prayers, you can just live any old way you want to and God's in the middle of it and that's being Christian, that's fine. That's not what I'm saying. You don't get to be Christian on accident. We're Christian on purpose. I follow Jesus on purpose. But sometimes, that most of the time, it's just in the act of being human. It's in my real life. And he is at work in those ways, in the ways I can see and in the ways that I cannot see. And so the call to being sacramental is to practice together okay. There's not something like more holy about church camp or church or all the spaces where we felt God. He's not more there or more real in those places than he is right now. Right here, exactly where you are. And that faithfulness for you, just like for Mary and just like for John, doesn't have to be more than saying, I want to be here with you. Help me see you. Help me know what you're doing. Keep awake, Jesus says. Keep awake because God is at work. Keep awake because God is coming. And when we can't and don't see him, the sacraments are here to help us practice looking for him. Because there is coming a moment for you, like there did for Mary and there did for John, when the Lord will say, now, I need you to follow me in this very specific and particular way. Now, we're going to do this. And you'll know it's God. And you'll have to work with God and participate with God and follow him. And you can because you've been practicing. Just receiving doing the tangible, concrete things. That's the invitation for us. I'm going to leave you with a quote from a Catholic. Are we good? I grew up assuming, I think, that most Catholics were not Christian because they were too preoccupied with ritual and magic and all that hocus-pocus, and they couldn't possibly have been sincere about Jesus. They didn't know enough of their Bibles. I have repented of this. 
many times over now. And so I look forward to the opportunity to get to sit with our Catholic brothers and sisters and learn from them about things that I have only yet to begun to understand. They've been doing better and for longer for a long time. Are there those who idolize ritual and don't mean it and just mumble their prayers in the Catholic Church? Yes. Are they also in our churches? Yes. We're all humans. Pollen bodies. Doing the best we can. And the Catholics are just a little bit better practiced at this sort of like looking for God sort of thing. So I'm going to read you a quote. This is from Hans Borsma. Um, he is an Anglican scholar, but he wrote a book. Um, he wrote a book about sacramental theology, and he quotes here from a Catholic writer. He says, "Sacramental Christians live in an enchanted world." a world of statues and holy water, stained glass and votive candles, saints and religious medals, rosary beads, icons. But these paraphernalia aren't mere hints of a deeper and more, are mere hints of a deeper and more pervasive sensibility, which inclines those Christians to see the holy lurking in creation. We find our houses our world haunted by a sense that the objects, events, and persons of daily life are revelations of grace. So what we mean when we say that we hope to be strengthened by sacraments is, yes, it's this table. I believe that Jesus is at work on this table. He's doing things that I don't even begin to pretend to understand always. But I also know that there's some of Jesus in you. There's some of Jesus at my dinner table. And there's some of Jesus to see in the work I do. God help me, my emails. You know, there's something of God to learn. And if I can, stay awake in my spirit and look for him and watch for him and wait for him. I'll grow. I'll be strengthened. I'll be made stronger. That's the hope in the prayer. Mary had to wipe all those bottoms, y'all. She had to tend to God. She had to tell God that she loved him before he could ever do anything for her in return. She just tended to him. That's Advent. We're going to wait for God to be God, and in the meantime, he's going to call us to tend to him, to watch, to wait and see what he does. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us watch and wait and look for you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.